This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. My best friend is blessed with three kids and a big house. All the kids have their own rooms, but recently, life in that big old house has been different. In an effort to solve kid boredom, my friend bought one of those massive blue tarps and created a full room tent in the spare bedroom. They put each of the kids' mattresses under the tent in the shape of a T. And every night, for now five weeks, the kids have slept with their heads feet apart instead of rooms apart. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage. And when I see a home, I can't help but see interest rates, escrows, and trying to help listeners pay the least amount possible. But for me, that story was a needed reminder that it doesn't matter whether our homes are big or small. It only matters whether we're willing to enjoy the little things that God gave us today, like a tarp tent. If you happen to be looking for a new place to put up a tarp of your own, we are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp., 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Plenty of companies claim they can boost your credit score for a price. Some are scams, some are legitimate, but either way, you just don't need them. Hi, I'm Rob West. The truth is, there's nothing anyone can do to improve your credit score that you can't do yourself and should be doing. We'll talk about that, then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. Any financial topic, 800 800- Five two five seven thousand. This is Money Wise Live, helping you see money from God's perspective, so you can be a better steward of His resources. So, what exactly is your credit score? Well, it's a single number, usually between three hundred and eight fifty, that essentially tells a prospective lender how good a risk you are, how likely you'll be to repay the money loaned to you as agreed, on time and in full. Now, five factors make up your score. Your payment history, 35%. Amounts owed, 30%. The length of payment history, 15%. The different types of credit accounts, 10%. And finally, new credit is the remaining 10%. If that seems like a lot to remember, good news, you don't have to. In fact, you just have to remember and do two things to improve your credit score. You ready? First, pay every bill that comes in on time. Simple enough, right? Uh, We should always do that anyway. Let's go to God's Word. King Solomon writes in Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Very simple and yet something we all need to heed. Now, second, never use more than 30% of your available credit in any account. Do those two things, and in time, you'll have a very healthy credit score that will get you a favorable interest rate and terms when you apply for a loan. Now, let's take a closer look at those two things you must do for a high credit score. Pay everything on time. This is extremely important because, again, it's the single largest factor making up your score at 35%. Paying all your bills on time means just that, Uh, not just credit cards, but even things like utility bills and rent. Those transactions may be reported to the credit bureaus, just like credit card transactions. Uh, Most major scoring companies, including FICO and Vantage Score, the two most popular, 
put the heaviest emphasis on timely payments when determining your score. A single 30-day late payment probably won't do much lasting damage to your score, but you might get hit with a late fee. But consistent late payments of 30 days will drag your score down significantly. Uh, Paying 60 days late will definitely hurt your credit score, especially if you get into a habit of paying that late. And of course, paying 90 days late does even more damage and will take longer to repair that damage. All late payments stay on your credit reports for seven years, although they do the most damage when they're recent. Uh, When you begin to consistently pay on time, your score will gradually recover. Now, there are things you can do to make sure you pay on time. I would get on a budget that ensures you'll always have enough to pay your bills. Then set up automatic payments from your checking account. Uh, Most banks now enable you to do that. If you prefer to pay manually, uh, you can set up payment reminders. Uh, Setting a reminder a few days before a due date allows time to transfer money to the creditor. So that's what you need to know about paying your bills on time. Now, about using less than 30% of your available credit. Uh, This is the second biggest factor influencing your score and mostly applies to credit cards. Uh, The credit scoring companies look at it two ways. First, for each account you have and then for all of your credit accounts combined. But all you really need to remember is never have a balance more than 30% on any credit card. Of course, uh, you should never have any balance on a credit card. Instead, pay off the entire balance in full each month to avoid paying any interest. Uh, The 30% figure is just a good rule of thumb. Uh, The lower your balance on each card, the higher your credit score will be. If you find yourself in a tough spot financially and you have to temporarily run a balance on a credit card, many issuers now allow you to set alerts so you're notified when you're approaching the 30% mark. Uh, Another trick when carrying a balance is to make several smaller payments during the month instead of making the full payment due amount at the end of the billing cycle. That will lower your credit usage ratio and probably reduce the amount you'll owe in interest, too. So those are the two things you need to know and do to raise your score, pay your bills on time, and never use more than 30% of your available credit. Hey, your calls are next. 800-525-7000. I'm Rob West. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Wise Live. I'm Rob West, your host. Today and every day, diving into God's Word and understanding how we can apply His truths to your financial life. Of course, we'll be uh, taking your calls as well. Here's the number, 800-525-7000. You know, there's an unlimited number of ways we can use God's money, but it really all boils down into some very simple principles. You see, when we understand that God owns it all and we're His manager— and that money is a tool to accomplish his purposes, it changes everything because every spending decision becomes ultimately a spiritual decision. It reflects what we value. And then we go to God's Word and we see these principles that he provides for us about how we should manage his money. They're simple. We should live well within our means. We should avoid the use of debt because that mortgages the future. We should set long-term goals because the longer term our perspective, the better our decision today. 
today. We should have some liquidity or margin in our financial life, and we should give generously because that breaks the power or the grip of money over our lives. And when we get that right and place it all under his lordship, here's my experience, is that it causes causes us to have a more intimate relationship with him. Uh, Everything else just seems to work better when we uh, put this area in proper perspective. Well, that's what we want to help you do today, whether it's giving questions, saving, looking toward the future. Maybe you're just starting out or trying to get that credit score figured out. Whatever it is, give us a call. We've got a few lines open, 800-525-7000. Let's start today in Illinois. Eddie, you're first on the broadcast. Go right ahead. Uh, Yes, my question is, um, I have an IRA account. I'm retired. I'm 64 years old, and I have an IRA account. So I was just wondering how much uh, federal taxes should I take out of that account when I take money out? Yes. Uh, Well, the typical amount uh, that's withheld is 10%. That's typically what a plan administrator might withhold automatically unless you ask for something different. Uh, The reason the default withholding rate is 10%, though, is that it's generally a pretty good measure of the eventual tax liability that a typical taxpayer will owe on IRA distributions. Uh, If you're in a low tax bracket and don't have a lot of other income, then withholding that 10% amount can be a reasonable starting point. Uh, Obviously, you may need to withhold more and even pay in more. Uh, One approach would be, Eddie, is to look at your effective tax rate. Uh, Basically, for an individual, that's just the total tax you paid the last time you filed divided by your total taxable income. Income. That's going to give you a percentage that's essentially your effective tax rate, and you could apply that effective tax rate uh, to these withholdings as well. Uh, I would always encourage you, especially if this is something you're just starting to do, perhaps this is a first uh, time you're taking money out of an IRA in this season, maybe where there's been a reduction in income or a change in your income status, a good time to connect with a professional who can guide you, make sure you're withholding the proper amount, paying it in on a timely basis, and there's not any surprises when you file your return. But hopefully that at least gives you a starting point. We appreciate your call today. Next to Cleveland, Ohio, Joanna, you're next on the program. Go right ahead. Hi, Joe. Um, hi, my name is Joanna, and I am calling because uh, my husband is 70, has been retired just about three years, but still works a little bit. And I work part-time, and I'm 65, and we wanted to get out of the stock market when things were kind of crazy, and I know it's probably a mistake, but we've done everything right all these years, and God has blessed us. We have a nice nest egg, and we just didn't want to lose it. Yeah. And so now uh, most of it, probably 10% of it is still in the market, but most of it is sitting, uh, well, probably half of it is in annuities, but another 40% is sitting in cash and just sitting in like Fidelity and Schwab. And they want to, they want to handle it, but they want to charge us like 1% of it. And that seems like money we don't want to even spend. And so we don't know. I know they have like a robo Mm-hmm. Um, advisor. We don't know. Banks' rates are just so low. Right. It doesn't look like the Fed is going to do anything with interest rates, and we just don't know what to do with it. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of folks in your situation, Joanna, where uh, the Lord has allowed you to build up a, a substantial nest egg. You're in a pretty good spot in terms of your income being covered, and now you just want to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. Want to see it grow modestly, but at the same time, you don't want to take unnecessary risk, especially you know, 12 years into a bull market when uh, we know that uh, the economy is restarting. So we're going to have incredible growth economically this year, perhaps the most in 20 years. Uh, We've got all this stimulus out there, but that's going to work its way through the system. And at some point, this economy will roll over. It's always cyclical. And you want to be able to weather a downturn, especially if it lasted a couple of years before it recovered. And I would think that any downturn we would experience in the future would recover. I don't see anything that would cause us to think we should be, you know, alarmed that, you know, all of Things, things around us are going to come crumbling down, as some might suggest. But you want to be prudent, and that's obviously what you're getting at. Uh, run through some numbers with me, and, and let me just ask you a few questions. So first would be, is your income, in fact, covered apart from these investable assets? Yes. Okay. And what do you have accumulated in total? Uh, separate the annuities from the non-annuity investments. Um. Annuities are um, probably not including annuities, probably close to six, seven hundred thousand. Okay, all right. And you said about ten percent of that is in stocks, so about seventy thousand. Is that right? No, I I have a little bit in stocks left. We didn't totally take it all out. We just kept okay. most of it out. But I left my small four hundred one k at my job. I took I most see. of that out in annuity about three years ago, but I left like 40000 in there, and then we probably still have uh, maybe 50000 in in uh, an account for in the stock market. I so see. Okay. That, yeah. Yeah, about 100000 between the two. And our house is paid two. for. Great. Great. Yeah, okay. and our house so is paid for, and it's, it's, yeah, it's worth about 400000 I love it. Well, you guys have obviously been doing a lot of things right. Uh, what do you have roughly in annuities in addition to the 700000 in in cash about and, and six, some stocks? About six. 600000 700000 okay. something like right. that. And are you happy with the annuity product? Do you feel like you understand it? Does it have the uh, proper safeguards on the downside where that particular portion of your assets you're comfortable with, or do you have some questions about that as well? No, we're pretty comfortable with our annuities. We have a good okay. Christian um, advisor we worked with on our annuities, so Great. we feel pretty good about that. Excellent. Well, you know, I think with regard to the 700000 thereabout, um, you know, you're doing the right thing in the sense that you've got your income covered. Uh, obviously, the Lord's allowed you to accumulate the substantial nest egg. You don't need the money right now, but you may want to do some additional giving now or down the road. You might want to pass on an inheritance. You want it to be there if you had some major medical expenses, you needed some long-term care, something like that. Um, and so you want it to grow, but you want to be conservative. If we were to have a, a, a major recession hit and stocks took a 35% hit, which that's typically the number I would use to make sure you would be comfortable losing, at least on paper, that amount with whatever uh, portion is allocated to stocks while you wait for it to recover. Uh, you know, I think that's a good barometer. So, you know, I would typically as a starting point say for somebody in your position, perhaps out of that 700000 think in terms of putting 30% at the risk of the stock market. Uh, so in this case, that'd be about 210000 thereabout. And the idea would be, even if that took a 30 35% dip, you wouldn't touch it. Uh, 
uh, you would let that go and you would wait for the market to recover, which it always has. And if you needed to draw money out for any unexpected reason, you'd take it out of the rest of the portfolio, the roughly half a million dollars that I would say should be in other fixed income type investments, bonds, corporate and government bonds, perhaps some tips, treasury inflation protected securities or governments, uh, you know, whatever it is that gives you peace of mind, but yet gives you a little bit more uh, income or yield than you might get from, let's say, a high yield savings account or a CD, which, as you've already acknowledged, are very, very low right now. But the benefit of that 30% in stocks is that during the rest of the years when it's uh, moving higher, like it has the last you know 12 plus, that's going to provide some additional growth. So the overall portfolio can do better than, you know, two or three percent, you might, you know, look to get four or five or six percent annualized a year uh, because of those two pieces. But I would recommend that you get a a professional to help you do that. And one percent as a management fee is very common, very typical. And here's the way I look at it. You've spent your entire life building this nest egg. It's not something to put on autopilot. I think having somebody who's uh, able to hear you out, know what your goals and objectives are, know what God's doing in this season of life, and help to guide you so you don't take any unnecessary risk, and yet you're still getting a reasonable rate of return so you can keep God's money working for you in the kind of portfolio that I'm describing, that would be well worth, in my view, 1% a year to have somebody do that if they're going to, you know, get to know you and give you the proper communication and deploy a strategy that you all feel like you can have some peace of mind with. But give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, okay, that that makes more sense. I forgot to mention I have about 200000 just sitting in the bank and um, doing nothing there, too. So I didn't know if... Uh, you know, I yeah, I guess if we go talk to an advisor, they would give us the proper information. That's um, right. But like I said, we do have an advisor, but both Fidelity and Schwab, because we have stuff there. Um, we just didn't know if the one percent. I mean, is uh, pretty much standard. And, um, you know, very reasonable for that amount of money. And and I think there's nothing wrong with keeping at least a year's worth of expenses in cash and cash equivalents uh, like you have with that uh, 200,000. But I think beyond that, deploying it in a strategy that makes sense, that's generating some income, has some growth potential is the right approach. So uh, you can either go back to your current advisor or connect with uh, another advisor or two. Uh, We recommend always someone who has the certified kingdom advisor designation. You can find a CKA there in Cleveland and you visit our website, moneywiselive.org. Click find a CKA. More calls after this break, 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Wise Live. I'm Rob West. So glad to have you along with us today, taking your calls on any financial topic. Here's the number. We have open lines, 800-525-7000. Whether it's giving or debt, perhaps you want to talk about your investments, your credit score, uh, whatever it might be, and we want to apply God's truth to your situation, we can do it together. Give us a call, 800 525 7,000. Let's take a quick email. We do uh, take from our community, which you can find in the MoneyWise app in your app store, or those that come in by email. We take a a question, usually try to do one per broadcast uh, that we've received from you and answer it on the air. If you'd like to submit your question, again, you can download the MoneyWise app or you can email us at questions at moneywise.com. 
Org. This one comes from Kathy and Jim. They write, hey, Rob, we're looking to refinance. Do you have any rules we should consider before we make the big decision? And I just happen to have some rules for you to consider, Kathy and Jim. Uh, first of all, I would want to make sure that uh, you're going to save at least a point and a quarter to a point and a half on the interest rate before you proceed. I'd love for you to be able to stay in that home. Uh, at least your plan would be uh, five to seven years following the refinance. Obviously, things can change, but uh, at least that would be your intention going into it. I'd want you to match the remaining term or shorten it. So if you have 25 years remaining, let's look for a 25-year loan. 20 would be even better. I'd love for you to get three bids before you select your new mortgage. A lot of people, for what is the largest transaction they will ever make, only get one offer. I don't think that's a good approach. And I'd like to add to that, perhaps two of the three should come from online lenders where you'll typically get the best offers. Go to bankrate.com to check out who has uh, the best deals right now. And then finally, make sure you check the uh, fees and expenses on that refi. Uh, I'd like for you not to spend more than 2% of the mortgage value in closing costs. If it's a lot higher than that, it could be that they're uh, requiring you to buy the rate down. But with 30-year rates between 2.6 and 2.9% right now and 15 year uh, rates below 2%, up to 2.25, you should be able to get, if you have good credit, a very good rate and still keep those closing costs less than 2%. So Kathy and Jim, we hope that helps you. Again, if you have a question you'd like to submit us, we'll try to get it on the air. Questions at moneywise.org. Back to the phones, Janet's in Austin, Texas. Hello, Janet. Thank you for calling. Go right ahead. Um, I um, have a credit card that I've had for several years, and I don't really use it. It has an annual fee. And the annual fee just came up again in March. And so my question is, um, I'm trying to rebuild my credit. I mean, it's pretty good, but still, I'm 61 years old, and I'm trying to decide, do I pay this annual fee just to keep this card that I don't really use, or should I close the card? Uh, Yeah, I would definitely close that card. I really don't like paying annual fees for cards, even those that have tremendous rewards. Uh, I'd be looking for one that has zero annual fee. Keep in mind, they're getting paid from the merchant rebate when you use the card. And I realize you said you're not using it, and that's why in the fine print uh, there's a period of time where if you don't use it after a certain number of months, they'll automatically close it. But there is really no reason today to be paying any kind of annual fee, uh, even if it's a rewards card, especially if you're not using the card. That's an expense you can recoup right back into your budget. So I'd close the account, switch to a card with no fee. And to find that card... I would either go to bankrate.com or I'd go to Nerd Wallet. Uh, by the way, one of my favorites right now that I just switched to is the Fidelity Rewards card. Uh, it's great. 2% back on every purchase so long as it gets credited to a brokerage account. I use it to save for college for our kids. Uh, so check that one out. No fee and 2% back on every purchase. Nerdwallet.com or bankrate.com would be great to check those out. Hey, we're going to pause for a brief break. More of your calls right around the corner. 800-525-7000. This is Money Wise, where God's Word is applied to every financial decision. Stay with us.
Welcome back to MoneyWise Live. I'm Rob West, your host. Thanks for being along with us today. Taking your calls and questions at 800-525-7000. We have some open lines, 800-525-7000. Right back to the phones, Topeka, Kansas. Uh, Jaylene, welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, I was just, uh, this is my first time calling. Okay, great. And I was wondering, the money I have in my uh, bank account, I was wondering what, I mean, and in my credit score, I was just wondering uh, um, about that. Okay. What is it you're looking to do with that money at this point? Is that money that you're going to try to hang on to for emergency savings? Do you want to pay down some debt? Are you looking to do some giving? What do you have in mind? Well, it's, I'm trying to, it's, it's really, it's the Lord's money. I'm just trying to see what I need to do because, I mean, it's, it was really given from the stimulus packages, you know, when they give out those checks. Yes, ma'am. And I was just kind of getting it, and, and they were depositing it in my account. <laughs> yes. Now, let me so ask you this. Uh, do you see. Do you have some savings right now? Uh, some emergency savings separate from this money you're describing to me from the stimulus? No, I, I get a disability check every month. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, you know, I would see this money as a real blessing. It's part of God's provision to you, regardless of how it ultimately gets to you. And, you know, we generally recommend, Jaylene, that you have at least three to six months worth of expenses in a liquid savings account. I prefer a high-yield savings account like Marcus or Capital One or uh, something like that, Ally Bank, that's going to pay you right now about 0.6%, so a little more than a half of 1%. Uh, The idea would be that if you had an unexpected expense, an emergency that comes up beyond what you're able to cover out of your monthly uh, check that you receive on disability, that would be what this money is for. And so I'd love for you to just hang on to that and let it sit there in that savings account. So if you need it, uh, you've got it for that purpose. And uh, if you want to check out one of those, again, you could go to uh, Ally Bank. You could go to Marcus Capital One 360. You could link that right up to your checking account, move that money in there, and just earmark it for emergencies. So if you need something, you could just transfer it over electronically. Uh, So look at this as a great opportunity to replenish, if you will, that emergency savings account. We appreciate your call today. 800-525-7000 is the number to call with your questions today. On to Chicago, Illinois. Bess, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thank you. I'm so glad that you were able to take my call when I heard the number. So let me call in now. What I'm (laughs) calling for is that um, my job, I, I retired. I'm 70 years old. And I got some money, like $25,000 that they had banked for me on my job. It was like sick time that I hadn't used. Yes, so ma'am. they turned it over to uh, a company, I think it's Voya. And okay. I want to—I don't know what to do with it because he said I can invest it. If not, if I t- want to, once I invest the money, and I can take it out any time, but they will charge me 20% to take it out. So I just didn't. Really, to be honest with you, I'm confused. I don't know what to do with the $25,000. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is money that you don't need right now. Is that right? That's that's correct. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, the first thing to understand is what type of account it is. You know, typically when you're eligible for sick leave pay, you get your benefit from your employer, and it's included in your federal taxable income. So you have to pay income taxes on the money you receive as sick leave. 
Um, you know, it depends on if it's been moved into an account on a pre-tax basis, then what they're talking about is, uh, you know, when you take it out, it's going to be added to your taxable income. And so they're going to withhold 20 percent kind of as a starting point, And then you'll settle up with the government when you file your tax return. Uh, that's what's being described there. Otherwise, it would just be paid out to you and perhaps could be moved into a, a taxable account. And then it would just be added to your taxable income that they report to you and to the IRS at the end of the year. Um, in either case, if you don't need the money, the first question is, you know, do you have some emergency savings? Just like I talked to Jaylene about, do you have somewhere between three and six months expenses in yes, savings I, separate yes, from do. this? You do. Great. Yeah. Okay. So this is just truly extra. And so if you wanted to put this to work, you could leave it right there at Voya and connect with somebody. Or uh, you've got some other options. You could use um, one of the robo-advisors we talk about here on the program for those with a smaller amount of money. Uh, Schwab has the Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, very low cost, very uh, properly diversified ETF portfolios. You could use Betterment would be another one or Vanguard. Uh, or uh, you could visit with our friends at soundmindinvesting.org uh, to get a biblical perspective on how to manage God's money uh, using mutual funds. Uh, but you could also just keep it right there, Bess, and connect with one of the uh, investment advisors at Voya and just ask them to help you uh, place this in a in a portfolio that reflects your goals and objectives so you're not taking too much risk, but the money is still working for you. The idea is that it's growing modestly. So if you needed it down the road for something unexpected beyond what your emergency fund would cover, you'd have the ability to tap into this account. So I would take one of those approaches, either connect with somebody at Voya, uh, look at one of the robo-advisors like the Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, or head over to soundmindinvesting.org to learn more about how they can assist you. And we appreciate your call very much today. South to Florida, and we welcome Florence to the broadcast. Go right ahead. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to coattail on the a couple of previous callers ago um, who said she'd taken money out of the stock market. Um, and uh, I appreciated your comment about the financial reset because I also think there's one coming, but my financial advisor doesn't seem to agree. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wondered if... Um, if I should take some some of my retirement funds out of the stock market for for a time, and if I did, would it be wise to invest it in gold or Bitcoin? Uh, I see. Or yeah. I well, I, sure. I appreciate that, Florence. You know, a couple of thoughts. I mean, uh, you know, what I'm describing is not uh, some kind of impending doom of any kind, but probably uh, more of a cyclical rollover that we typically see. If you go back over the last hundred years, you'll see that just about every 10 years, and it's not always in 10-year cycles, we see the economy, you know, uh, slow down. And uh, it can often result in a recession or more, uh, but it's typically short-lived. And in every case, the market has moved to higher ground. So I wouldn't advise you to do anything differently today than I would have advised you to do, let's say, five years ago when we were only, you know, halfway through this current bull market that we've been in that had a brief uh, blip with the uh, pandemic last March. But I wouldn't advise you to do anything different today than, than you would have then. Uh, because keep in mind, as long as you're invested with the right 
investment mix that's appropriate for your age and risk tolerance, your goals and objectives, with the, at the center of that, what God is leading you to do with his resources, then you should be able to weather any financial storm because you're living within your means and you're paying down your debt and you're investing for the long term, even in the retirement season. You know, we're still thinking 20 or 30 years out at the Lord Terry's and you have good health, but we get more conservative and we take the stock exposure down so that if we got into a prolonged recession, two or three years, and it may be another five years before that happens, nobody knows, but you'd be able to weather that and wait for it to come back and not have to sell anything at a loss, but you'd be able to just let it recover over time. So that would be the way I would go. I wouldn't overweight in gold or Bitcoin. I'd limit my exposure in gold to 5%. I'd stay away from Bitcoin altogether. I hope that helps. We're going to pause and we'll be back with much more. 800 7,000 is the number. Welcome back to Money Wise Live, where we apply God's Word to today's financial decisions. Thanks for being along with us on the broadcast today. Hey, have you considered becoming a Money Wise Live partner? We rely on listener support to do what we do every day, not only here on the radio, but also through the MoneyWise app and on the web with our MoneyWise coaches, uh, volunteers serving uh, hundreds and thousands of people uh, every year through uh, individual coaching and email coaching and all of the tools and resources we build, we can only do it through your financial support. Uh, we're so thankful for each of you who partner with us on a monthly or a one-time basis. And if you'd prayerfully consider doing that, we would certainly appreciate it. Uh, you can head over to moneywiselive.org. Just click the donate button at the top of the page. Again, that's moneywiselive.org. Click donate, and uh, we would certainly be grateful. Back to the phones. We go to Indianapolis, Indiana. Dawn, you're next on the program. Go ahead. Hi, thank you for taking my call. My question sure. is, um, my daughter is going to be graduating this year and heading to private university in the fall. And between the scholarships she's been awarded and, and um, also financial help from this, the university itself, we're going to be short about 10000 a year for the four years. My question is, what is your thoughts on us straight out taking the loan to cover that or taking out a loan in her name where we would co-sign on that and pay the interest until she graduates, and then we would help her pay that off. Is there um, any pros and cons to that? We're thinking maybe the latter would help build her credit history. Yeah. What was the first option you were looking at, a parent plus loan, just in that your name only? That we just only? take out, yeah, we. that's correct. Okay. Yeah. You know, you're going to get a better interest rate with a loan in her name at around, I believe, just under 3%, whereas the Parent PLUS loans are going to be up over 5 Uh Here's the thing. I think in either case, you've decided, you know, you all are going to step in and help to pay this for her or with her if there's some expectation. Uh, so I think doing that in her name with a federal student loan, uh, getting the very best rate, but agreeing that you all would kind of be the backstop there uh, would be a great option. You're right. It would help to build her credit. I think the other thing to consider is that you just need to make sure there's real clarity on the front end and open communication with her as to expectations. Um, is this something you all intend to pay in full for her? Is this a shared responsibility once she graduates and gets a job? Kind of break that down so there's no confusion. 
And I think the key, which is why the Bible warns so strongly against co-signing, is you need to be ready, willing, and able to step in and uh, take care of this if for some reason she can't, uh, because the last thing we'd want is there to be some relational damage or financial damage on your or her part as a result of her inability to pay as she's just getting started. So I think that's the real thing to be careful for. But in terms of which loan to go for, I would go for the the one in her name with the very best interest rate. Outstanding. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't something in there that we weren't seeing. No, I don't think so, Dawn. And I appreciate you all thinking through it and tell her congratulations on those scholarships she's received. Let's head to Chicago, Illinois. Felicia, you're next on the program. Go ahead. Hi, um, I was calling because I was inquiring about refinancing my home. Um, I refinanced it from the original loan in, two, I think it was 2001. So now I have a 4.5 interest rate. It was a conventional loan, and I owe $64,000 left on it. Um, the home is worth about $139,000. And I looked at the beginning of the year at the credit union, um, the federal credit union. And I think the interest rate, I want to say, was about 3% for a 20-year loan. Um, Yes. But I only have about 10 years left. So I was, at that time, I think I was only going to save about $5,000 over the life of the loan. And the original origination fee, I think, was either $2,000 or $2,500. And I wasn't sure if that even made sense to refinance. Yeah, it doesn't unless you're going to pay it off, you know, in 10 years, which you could do with a 20-year mortgage. But I'd be concerned that you would just pay the minimum and then you're really taking a lot of that savings and you're chewing it up by doubling the term of the mortgage. Um, have you looked at a 10-year mortgage at 64000 you know, plus expenses to see how that would compare in terms of a monthly payment? I actually looked at a 10 and a 15 is what I looked okay. at because I only have 10 years left on it. Right, right. Um, on the loan. I only have 10 years left. That's it. Right. And what did that, uh, what were you seeing in terms of interest rates on a 10 year? I want to say it is at least about three, 3%, if I'm not mistaken. That was at yeah. the beginning of the year. It might've been a high two, um, okay. 3% well, maybe. Yeah. If you have a good credit score, Felicia, you should do a lot better than that. You know, 10 year rates right now, you should be uh, seeing it at uh, 1.9 roughly. Um, you know, under 2% in some cases for a 10-year mortgage, certainly not more than two and a quarter. So I think that's really the opportunity for you is to go out and look for a a new 10-year mortgage. As long as you plan to stay in this home, uh, you could save, in this case, more than two and a half percent a year in the interest rate. You wouldn't be extending the term one bit uh, because you've got 10 years remaining. You'd be replacing it with a new 10-year mortgage. And I'd just make sure that you don't spend more than 2% uh, or around $1,200 in closing costs. Um, But if you could find that, I'd be totally in favor of that. I'd go to bankrate.com to look for the very best programs right now at 10 years. And, um, you know, any uh, any mortgage lender you apply with in a 14-day period is going to be considered one in terms of the number of inquiries that impact your credit score. So I'd get at least three bids from three competing lenders that look like uh, they have very um, aggressive terms and rates right now. 
And um, I think you're a great candidate to refinance and then get that thing paid off as quick as you can and enjoy being completely debt-free. We appreciate your call today. Uh, On to Central, PA. Anne-Marie, you're next on the program. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a quick question. I was just listening, or I was listening to your show, and you told, uh, when I first turned it on, you were talking about two ways to increase your FICO score. And one of them was to about paying your uh, credit cards off, not having more than 30% uh, right. of your available balance. My, uh, my husband and I, we pay our credit card off in full every month. But on like the day before we pay it, it's, it might be 50, 60, 70% of the available credit. Right. Should we ask for an increase in our credit? Or should we, should I pay it like every week or every other week to keep the ba- the balance lower? Yeah. What is your credit score, Anne Marie? Have you checked it recently? Yeah, it's in the high seven hundred. Okay. You know, it, One it of the really. Things is we don't have a mortgage, so. Okay, very good. You know, I don't think it's going to make much difference. I mean, you're right. The reported balance prior to you paying it off is what's reported to the credit bureau, and that's going to be looked at two ways. It's going to be looked at by account to say what percent is this balance prior to you paying it of the total limit. And to your point, it's often 60 or 70 percent, which is certainly above the 30 percent target. And then it's going to be looked at in the aggregate. So if you have other open revolving accounts that you're not using, some older credit cards or something like that, it'll be looked at in light of the total available credit. Now, you may say, well, I don't have those. So, you know, it's limited just to this one. But uh, keep in mind, it's both factors. But here's the bottom line. Um, You know, I don't think it's worth it for you. Anything over 740, 750, you're going to qualify for the very best terms and rates no matter what you apply for. And at this point in your life, you're probably not out there looking to take on a lot more uh, debt uh, or even qualify for, uh, for new loans. And so I think, you know, sitting there with a high 700 score, even if you were to you know, open a few more credit cards, uh, you know, and then get this up to 820 or 830. I just don't think it's going to make that much difference for you. And if you do that, it's going to open you up to additional potential fraud, somebody compromising an account that you're not really watching because you're not using it. I just don't like uh, open accounts sitting around that you're not monitoring. So I'd probably just stick with it, Anne-Marie, even though, yes, there's a potential you could get this up above 800. I don't think it's going to make much difference for you. Does that make sense? All righty. Hey, we appreciate your call today. God bless you. Our uh, final call today is going to be Flory in Boynton Beach, Florida. Go right ahead. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I have a question. I want to buy an investment house, and I want to ask you if that's the right time to do it. We don't have a 401k, and that would be some extra income for our retirement. I see. Uh, So are you currently saving for retirement somewhere else? Uh, no, we have the house paid off, so we are debt-free, and I'm trying to see if I can. I have some money saved, so I want to put 50% down payment on the new investment, so I'm hoping yeah. to pay it off by, by the time I retire. I see. And the 50% you've saved that would go toward this investment property, is that in a taxable account? Yes. Okay, and it's just in cash currently, is that right? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there's uh, real estate is a, a very effective way to build wealth and can be an income stream for you as long as you do it right. Uh, you need to go in with your eyes wide open, understand what you're getting into. It's certainly not a passive investment by any means. It's going to require you to market it and uh, be a landlord and take care of the maintenance and deal with any problems that come up. And when a tenant moves out, you've got to replace them and, you know, make sure the property's been taken care of. So there's a lot that goes into it. So I would just be careful and know what that means for you. Make sure you have the time and the interest to commit to it. Uh, But if not, uh, or if you're comfortable with that, it could be a great tool for you to uh, supplement your income. And I love the fact that you're planning to be debt-free by retirement. We appreciate your call today. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. want to say thank you to my team, Amy Rios producing today, Dan Anderson engineering, uh, Jim Henry providing research, Eric screening our calls today. MoneyWise Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and MoneyWise Media. We'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. I hope you'll join us. May the Lord bless you. Bye-bye.